I'm Gary Post. If you don't happen to know me, if you're new here, welcome. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'll be with you this morning. And uh, I, I wanted to let you know about uh, a, a member of our family who's gone home to be with her Savior, and that is Cindy Edwards. Some of you know Cindy, and this is not um, Cindy Edwards, Bruce's wife, Bruce's wife, a mother of uh, Christy and Stephanie. This is uh, Cindy Edwards, Rod's wife, and uh, the parents of uh, three daughters. She uh, passed away on Friday morning after a lengthy illness. She was at U of M uh, intensive care in the medical center there, and uh, Rod was here this morning at the earlier service. So I just ask that that uh, you lift him up in prayer, and that uh, that we'd ask for God's strength. And uh, Rod's doing well, and his I think his daughters are doing well as well. We're going to meet with them uh, tomorrow for some of the arrangements. The funeral will probably be here on Saturday, uh, Saturday morning probably, if, uh, if you'd like to attend that. It's one of those cases where uh, we pray and we ask God for healing, and he has other plans. And it, it's one of those, very often God does heal when we ask him to do that. And he demonstrates his power in that way. But we always have to remember that God is sovereign. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to God. And the verse goes on to say that he shares other things with us so that we have enough information to obey. But sometimes he calls us to trust no matter what. To trust even when we can't understand, especially when we can't understand what his larger plan is. And and that is the case here. Uh, He's called her home. And the good news is that that for all she went through over the past couple months, uh, she is uh, perfect in, in body and in spirit right now. And she's with her Savior, and she's experiencing pure joy and pure happiness and the pure love of God right now in the presence of her Savior. So um, we're going to celebrate that and celebrate her life uh, Saturday, certainly. Um, But uh, pray and and support Rod and the the girls uh, in any way you can, any tangible way you can. Uh, cards, uh, letters, certainly your prayers that God would give them strength. Romans fifteen thirteen says that uh, God is the, the God of hope and that he ministers his joy and peace to us through his Holy Spirit as we trust in him. So we pray that for, for Rod and, and Cindy and uh, or Rod and their family and Rod and his uh, daughters as they, uh, as they walk through what God has called them to walk through right now. Uh, you know, in uh, Ephesians uh, 4.12, Paul says that pastors and teachers are supposed to be equipping the saints, that would be you, for the work of the ministry. That's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be talking about uh, sharing our faith, something that uh, uh, some of us struggle with, and uh, we'll talk about how God can empower us to do that, what that looks like, and, and how we can be more effective ambassadors for Christ. Before we start that, let's, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We know that you have purposes uh, that you arrived at before the beginning of time that you intend to accomplish in hearts here this morning. And we ask that you would carry out all those purposes, that your Holy Spirit would empower uh, this service, would prepare our hearts, and uh, that you'd speak through me as a weak vessel uh, with the power of God. 
into people's lives and that you would transform us into the image of Jesus Christ as a result. Uh, we ask all these things, and, and, and Lord, we ask you as well for the Edwards family, for what they're going through right now. Uh, you told us that you are the God of comfort and that uh, you are near to those who are crushed and brokenhearted in Psalm 34. And so we would ask that you be near to, to uh, Rod and, and to the girls right now and, and the extended family as well as they walk through this time. We ask that you bring them to the place where they can, they can trust in you no matter what in this difficult circumstance that you've called them to walk through. And we ask these things in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you have read uh, New York Times bestseller, Unbroken, by Laura Hillenbrand? Some of you have. I'd recommend it to you. It's, a, it's an amazing story. It's one of those books you can't put down. And uh, Laura is the same woman who wrote um, Seabiscuit, if you didn't know that, and one that, one that may be more uh, uh, popular. But uh, I'm going to tell... the. The, the story of Unbroken is a story of the life of Louis Zamperini. And Louis was an Italian-American, as you might have guessed, out of California. As a young man, he began, uh, he, he was gifted as a runner. In fact, that's his 1936 passport photo that you see there. He um, was one of the fastest men in the world at the time, represented the United States at the 1936 Berlin Olympics, in fact, met Adolf Hitler there before the Second World War. And uh, uh, Zamperini held the world record at different times in the mile. He was a, a, a miler. When the war began, he enlisted in the Army Air Corps, and he flew in, he was a waste gunner on B-24s, the, the huge Liberator bombers that uh, you see in that picture, and he flew over the Pacific on uh, various missions. Ultimately, uh, one of the B-24s that he was in went down in the Pacific, and he spent 47 days on a raft in the Pacific. Some of his buddies didn't make it. The sharks got him, or the uh, Japanese, when they flew over, would strafe those rafts and, uh, and killed some of his comrades as well. But Zamperini uh, lived and ultimately was picked up after 47 days by the Japanese, put into a prisoner of war camp, and, and uh, there was subjected to horrific abuse and torture, was singled out for that by a, a particularly sadistic guard named The Bird, nicknamed The Bird. But he, he survived the POW camp as well. And, and after the war, he met and married the, the girl of his dreams, a, a woman named Cynthia Applewhite. Uh, but post-traumatic stress disorder... Uh, threatened to destroy that marriage. All the while, he dreamed of a return to Japan to hunt down and kill the former guard who had tortured him. He had nightmares every night, he says. No one knew about it because I looked perfectly normal. I covered it up by drinking. His wife, Cynthia, suspected something was terribly wrong because Zamperini often woke up in a cold sweat, shouting, one night he dreamed he was strangling the bird. In fact, he was on top of his pregnant wife with his hands around her neck, choking the life out of her. He says, I woke up and I couldn't believe it. His life spiraled downward as he began to chase other women at local bars where he and his Olympic buddies often got free drinks. I began to fall apart, Zamperini recalls. My wife decided 
She wanted a divorce. About that time, a new couple in their apartment building near L.A. uh, met Cynthia. And they talked about a a young evangelist preaching in a a large tent in downtown L.A. And the young evangelist was Billy Graham. The couple invited Cynthia and Lewis to go. Well, Lewis didn't want any part of it, of course, but uh, Cynthia went. When when she returned home after the event, Lewis reported or, or noticed that something was different about her. He said she started speaking of a peace and a joy in her heart. Still, he stubbornly resisted her invitation to hear Graham. She knew that, uh, Louis recalled later, that she knew that to save our marriage, I would have to be converted. Despite her appeals, Lewis continued to dig in his heels. He said, I wanted no part of it. But then Cynthia said something that got his attention. She said because of her conversion to faith in Jesus Christ that she was not going to get a divorce any longer. And the next day she was all over him again about going with her to see Billy Graham and, and uh, he relented. Okay, I'll go, he said. But when that fellow says, every head bowed and every eye closed, we're getting out of there. <laughs> that night Graham spoke from the 8th chapter of John about the woman caught in adultery. He began to preach and quote scripture that reminded me of my life, Louis said. Still his heart was hardened. And at the end of the message, when Graham asked people to bow their heads, Louis grabbed his wife's arm and bolted from the tent. As they got in their car, he said, don't ever get me back in a place like that again. Louis suffered a fitful night's sleep that night with more nightmares about the bird. The next morning, Cynthia was just as firm in her resolve that a change in Lewis's heart was the only possible way to save their marriage. She went after Lewis again and convinced him to go back a second time to hear Graham. Lewis warned his wife, okay, but if he says every every head bowed and every eye closed, we're out of there. This time, Graham spoke about why Christians suffer and why God seemed to allow communism to flourish. At the end of the message, when Graham asked people to bow their heads, Louis got up to leave. As he moved to the end of their row and stood in the aisle, he hesitated and stopped. Something Graham said about people at the end of their rope who turned to God triggered a flood of memories. He thought about his ordeal in the Japanese POW camp when he and the other men prayed daily. He promised God then, if you get me home alive, I'll seek you and serve you. Likewise, his mind returned to his suffering on the raft. On the raft, we're at the mercy of the elements of the ocean. But I came back alive. God kept his promise, he realized. But he had not kept his part. What a heel I've been, he said. And instead of heading for the exit door, Louis Zamperini turned and walked toward the prayer room. There he fell to his knees and gave his life to Christ. The Holy Spirit came into my heart, and I became a member of the true church, the body of Christ, he said. Then something unusual happened as he knelt humbly before God. He said, when I was still on my knees, I forgave all my guards, and I knew I was through smoking and drinking and chasing women. That night, his nightmare stopped abruptly. He said it was a miracle that happened. It was the first time in years I've never had a nightmare, and I haven't had one since. He he rummaged through their apartment the next day, tossed out all the liquor and cigarettes and girly magazines he had. 
hidden in various places, he dug out his World War II Bible, walked to a local park, and began reading. He said, I got to the crucifixion, and I started crying like a baby. He left the park and hurried back to see Cynthia. A miracle has happened in my life, he said excitedly. The same miracle happened to me, she said. That's the miracle of conversion. It happens the moment you believe. The following day, Louis found Billy Graham and Cliff Barrows and told them about the marvelous change that has happened. That had happened. He said, I, I was bubbling over with joy. Lewis insisted, however, they would never get him up on a platform talking about his faith. But God had other plans. Cliff Barrows uh, gave him a ticket to Modesto, California, uh, to a, a train ticket to Modesto, which was the next stop on the crusade. And Zamperini boarded the train and headed for that next crusade stop where he shared about his newfound faith. He said, I only knew two or three scriptures. Since then, I've been on platforms all over the world. He, he noted, too, that one of the reviewers of the book Unbroken faulted the book in one respect. The reviewer said he couldn't understand how someone with post-traumatic stress disorder could get over it in a moment. But Louis said that the, the reviewer obviously didn't know Scripture because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Nothing is impossible with God. I didn't tell you that there would be a test, but I've got a couple questions for you. Uh, one of the things I'd like to have you note is that, first of all, is that God can call anyone. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one in history has been beyond the reach of God's grace. No one in your life or mine, no one sitting here this morning is beyond the reach of God's grace. God can call anyone and bring them into relationship with him. Uh, by the power of his Holy Spirit. The other thing uh, that I'd like to have you note is the process. Notice that this was a process. Although Louis' life was transformed, you can see looking back over his life as you read the book that God was at work in his life at different places in his life. And, and that's true many times for all of us in terms of our spiritual experience. We'll talk more about that. It's a process, not just a one-time event. Here's a question for you. What happened at that tent meeting that changed Louis Samparini's life? What was there that happened there? Okay, the, the power of God obviously came into play. I'm sorry? He, he, he forgave? Yes, that was one of the effects, wasn't it? So, so you had the power of God, the Word of God in operation there, the Holy Spirit that transformed his life because he, because he heard the word of God and it, and it penetrated his heart and, and he was transformed. What about the role of relationships? What was the role of relationships in, in drawing Louis Zamperini to faith in Christ? There are a couple right answers here. You can't go wrong. What was the role of relationships at a couple different places? His wife, yeah. And many times, don't you, don't you see this? I always say this, that uh, God will draw one person from a family to Christ and then stand by because he's working on the rest of the family. You know he is. 
The Holy Spirit is working on the rest of that family. That's what happened in this case. What other relationship mattered here? His wife's prayer for him? Certainly. Anytime somebody comes to faith, there's almost always the case that somebody's been praying for him. God draws him in response to prayer. What about that young couple that moved into the apartment complex? Yeah, exactly. You see, and that's how God orchestrates events in our lives. And, and sometimes you, you can't connect all the dots until after the fact. God moves this other young couple into the apartment complex. They hear about Billy Graham. They invite Cynthia, who invites Louie, and people come to faith in Jesus Christ, you see? And, and another interesting facet of that that I didn't mention was Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst, the, the huge uh, newspaper magnet at that time, uh, publisher, God put it in his heart to contact his editors and say, Puff Graham, Puff Graham, Graham's coming to L.A., Puff him, which means in newspaper lingo, apparently, we want you to give him front-page billing. 10,000 people, 10,000 people showed up in that tent that night, you see? So, so God orchestrates these things uh, to accomplish his purposes. One more question for you. How long after uh, Zamperini became a believer did God begin to use him in the lives of other people? <laughs> yeah, like right away, right? Next night, you're never getting me up on a platform. Yeah, right. <laughs> Holy Spirit took care of that. Uh, the next night, he was, he was on the platform with Graham in, in Modesto. So... Um, that's the way God works. Here's the pattern. Uh, relationship plus prayer plus God's truth plus the Holy Spirit draws people to faith in Jesus Christ. Relationship plus prayer plus truth plus the Holy Spirit draws people to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's step back a minute. Where are we in our culture right now with regard to faith and people's perspective on faith and, and on, uh, on Christianity and on church. Well, the, the Pew Research Forum has nothing to do with the pews that you're sitting on. It just happens to have the same name, but they do religious research in America. One of their most recent reports, uh, this is an excerpt some, from, they, they said some 45 million people, or one-fifth of the U.S. adult population, now say they belong to no church in particular. And, and in fact, uh, 6% of them identify themselves as either um, atheists, that is, there is no God, they believe there is no God, or agnostics, that we don't know whether there's a God, but we don't care, we're indifferent to God. So, so that's where people are in terms of their, their perspective. Now on Christians and the church, uh, some additional research that was done that Sean McDowell uh, comments on, he says, we live in a culture that's generally uninterested in the truth of the gospel, partly because we're so thoroughly unimpressed they, because they are so thoroughly unimpressed by those who proclaim it. In 1996, 15% of people outside the church, these are non-churchgoers again, had extremely bad impressions of Christians and Christianity. By 2007, that number had ballooned to 38% in our culture. One in four say they believe that modern-day Christianity is no longer like Jesus. When asked their opinions about the church, 87% believe the church is judgmental, 85% believe the church is hypocritical, 86% believe Christianity is phony and unreal. Now, we could spend a lot of time uh, trying to search out the rationale or, or try to explain why they're wrong, but the, the point is that that's a perception that's out there in our culture right now and that, that the reality is such that many people who need Jesus Christ will never 
darken the door of a church. It, it doesn't matter that we let people wear jeans. It doesn't matter that we have contemporary music. It doesn't matter how much coffee and cookies we have in back. There are some folks for whom a life with God is irrelevant, and they will never darken the door of a church in their lifetime unless, unless God engages them with you and me. That leaves us to reach them. And God has actually not only commissioned us to reach them, but he's given us a title. Did you all know that you are ambassadors? Uh, you're all children of God. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. You're, you're a son or a daughter of God. You're royalty. And at the same time, you're one of his ambassadors. This ambassadorship comes without the sash, but it comes with the responsibility. Paul tells us about that in 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's your ministry. That's my ministry. That is, he's going to explain what the, what the ministry of reconciliation is. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God has entrusted the responsibility to speak for him to, to you and me. So Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the message to people. For our sake he made him, that is Christ, to be no sin, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ambassadors don't speak for themselves, do they? They speak for the people that they represent, or the, the, the state or the country that they represent. We, we speak for God into the world around us, into the network of relationships that he's put us in. So why do so many of us feel like we're doing it badly? Uh, if we're honest with ourselves, some, people, some of us feel like, you know, I'm not very good at that. I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I don't know if I'm going to have any fruit in my life when I get to heaven. I think some of that is because of a misconception about what evangelism is. And, you know, when, when, uh, one of the things that, one of the pictures that it conjures up in my mind is the guy with the sandwich sign uh, on the street corner yelling at people to repent, that kind of confrontational approach. I don't think that's how, how God intends to carry out the mission through us on a day-to-day on -day basis. I, I think more of it is about relationships and about friend-to-friend uh, -friend, uh, sharing. Uh, Emerson Egrich and Emerson and Sarah um, run the Love and Respect Ministry, the marriage ministry, the national ministry that you may have heard of or read their books but he was a longtime pastor and, and mentor to me. One of the things he said was that uh, sharing your faith is, is uh, like one beggar telling another beggar where to find a crust of bread. You know, we're all, we're all here by grace, and it's one person telling another person uh, where to find that, that peace that comes from God. I think another obstacle is fear and guilt and doubt in our own ability. We think that we won't know what to say, but Jesus covered that. He says that God will give you what, we, what you need to say in the moment that he gives you to say it. He says, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. I talked uh, between services to uh, uh, Sherry Ritchie, and she told me about a time when, when she was engaged with another person in, in that kind of a conversation. She, she just sensed that there was a window of opportunity. The Holy Spirit gave her exactly what to say. 
and she was able to speak into this other person's life, plant that seed. You know, the person didn't drop to their knees and come to faith in Christ, but planted that seed, which will, will be the basis for, ultimately, for that person coming to faith in Christ. The other thing is, I think sometimes we, ha- we feel like we have to be holy enough. We have to reach a certain threshold of sanctification before God can use us. And uh, l- let me encourage you this morning. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That would be you. That God has declared not, you not guilty, that he sees you in the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus Christ this morning. And that he can do anything he, he wants to through your life. Your life is no obstacle for God. He can empower you to carry out any mission that he has for you in the lives of the people around you. You see, we get stuck where we think it depends on us. And, and it doesn't depend on us. God has power, his power available to us to accomplish his purposes. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work. Where? Is at work within us. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He's taken up residence in your life and he's able to empower you to accomplish what he intends for you to do. Sometimes we get stuck in uh, formulas instead of relationships. We think that if we communicate the right information to people, that they will make an intellectual decision, like, um, you know, like buying a car. If I have all the facts and I'll do the analysis and the cost benefits and all that, and then I'll, I'll come to a conclusion. It isn't like that. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ is not just an intellectual decision, is it? And, and you know that it, it, it is a transaction that occurs in the heart, and it's Holy Spirit-driven. Uh, so it, it doesn't depend on us or on, on presenting just the right facts or the right formula. Um, and sometimes, in fact, truth outside the context of relationship can alienate people. We come across sometimes as judgmental and, and uh, hypocritical, and the opportunity for a relationship is lost. That's why Paul tells us in Colossians, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If God calls you to speak into another person's life on his behalf, he will give you the time and the opportunity to do that, if that's his purpose. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on you being smart enough or knowing enough scripture or being a good enough theologian. Uh, All those things have their place. Uh, But God can use you right where you are to speak into the life of another person. Let me suggest to you this, that there are no coincidences in the life of a child of God. There is no one in your life right now, no one in your orbit of relationships that is not there because God put you there. And none of those things happen by accident or by coincidence. Uh, David said in Psalm 57, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose in me. You see, God has a purpose for each one of our lives in the people that we reach out and touch. And, and he will fulfill that purpose in you if you open yourself up to his Holy Spirit's influence. We need to uh, watch for opportunities to, dis- to uh, demonstrate the love of Christ and meet people, first of all, at their point of need. That's what Jesus did. William Barclay says this, more people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love 
than by all of the theological arguments in the world. Don't you find that to be true? You reach out to someone in kindness, and it opens, it, it opens them up to spiritual things. It opens up their heart uh, to spiritual conversations. The principle is that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And then you have a basis for speaking truth into their lives. And that's why we need to, to keep the order straight. It's grace before truth. It's grace before truth all the time. Let me ask you a question. Does the process of sanctification, that is, the way the Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ, does that begin before or after conversion? Does the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ, becoming holy, does that, happen, does that begin before or after we come to faith in Jesus Christ? After, yeah. It, you sense an ambush because it's too simple a question, right? Well, <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. But, but then let me ask you this. Why don't we act that way sometimes in the way that we receive people into our churches? You, you see, sometimes we get truth before grace. And sometimes we give unintentionally the impression that unless you've cleaned yourself up to a certain standard of holiness, and unless you've gotten your... Unless you, you look a certain way, and, and unless you uh, act in a certain way, unless you talk in a certain way, unless you've got some of that sin stuff and, and your excess baggage cleaned up in your life, you, you know, you need not apply. And we really make people feel unwelcome sometimes when they come in, sometimes with the, you know, some of the baggage that sin brings with it. I think it's unrealistic to expect people to deal with sin issues in their life before they have the power that the Holy Spirit provides to do that. We need to bring them to faith first and receive them with grace, let God's Word and the Holy Spirit transform them in His timing, even if they look and act uh, differently than we do. You see, the, the church is not a country club for holy people, it is an ER for broken people. And we're all broken people. We're all broken people. So it's not a one-time event, but it's a, a journey. When people come to faith, we need to focus on conversations before conversions. We need to focus on friendship before discipleship. And we're not trying to manipulate people, but we're living out. One of the first things that happens to you when you uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ is you have this love for other people. You know, you start, it's the love of Christ that comes out in your life. We need to radiate that love of Christ to other people, reflect that in tangible ways, and, and uh, people will respond to that. Most people come to faith over a period of weeks and months and years, not instantaneously, and our objective should be spiritual conversations with people. Those, those moments that God gives us when the Holy Spirit speaks through us into another person's life to influence them um, in the direction of God to change the whole trajectory of their life. That's what Paul said too. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God's been making it grow. See, everybody has a different role. And, and you're going to plant many seeds in people's lives that you'll never see the outcome of. You, you'll never see the moment perhaps when they come to faith in Jesus Christ until the time when you're in heaven and you have the great joy of having somebody step up to you and say, you know, you may not have known it, but 
you were the one. You were the one that spoke into my life. And that's why I'm here. And, and that will be a joy uh, beyond, beyond any other. Don't feel like you have to close the deal. In other words, uh, have somebody drop to their knees and, and, uh, and walk them through the gospel. That's not going to happen every time. It is a process. We need to be in prayer and sensitive to the Holy Spirit's work around us. Henry Blackaby says this in Experiencing God. He says, uh, uh, he has seven realities of experiencing God. The first one is that uh, God is always at work all around us. God is always at work all around us. And number two, that, or number three actually, that God invites us to become involved with him in his work. God is always at work around us. Uh, the the uh, the reality is that we're oblivious sometimes to that work. The Holy Spirit will open our eyes so that we can see what God is doing around us in the, in the lives of other people. Sometimes uh, God uses a crisis to do that. Um, but on the issue of uh, uh, being oblivious, I want to show you a four-minute video, uh, a minute about, it's called Noticing Opportunities, and it, it is about how the Holy Spirit can open our eyes to what people are going through around us and create the opportunity for uh, ministry to them. You know, when I first saw that, it was right after the Newtown shootings, and I, I couldn't help thinking, what if there was a man who had um, reached out to that young man before he picked up the rifle in Connecticut, made a difference in his life, spoken truth into his life, and been there for him? What difference might that have made in, in our world? But God uses crisis in our lives and in the lives of people around us uh, for his eternal purposes, to draw them into the kingdom, to draw them to Jesus Christ. And for, for them, for people who are not yet believers, it's very often to bring them to the end of themselves, to the place where they can sense God's work in their lives in, in the middle of that crisis. And for us, it's to teach us to trust him more. In other words, to build our faith and also, think about this. Maybe you, you, this hasn't occurred to you before, but sometimes the crisis and the hardship and the illness or whatever it is we're going through in our life is to prepare us and position us for ministry into the lives of other people. There's an example I used a, a few months ago in another message about Dr. Francis Collins. If you know who he is, he, was a, he is a world-renowned uh, physician and geneticist. He was the head of the Human Genome Project. And the, uh, the guy who led the project that mapped the structure of DNA, the genetic structure of DNA, a brilliant man. He was at the same time, uh, as he describes it, early in his career, he was an obnoxious atheist, he says. But he had an elderly heart patient. And she was in a great deal of pain. And yet she told the doctor at one time what a, a comfort her faith was to her. And then he asked a question she asked him a question that would change the whole trajectory of his life. She said, Doctor, what do you believe? That's all. Doctor, what do you believe? He said, I was not only embarrassed, I was speechless for the first time in my life. He, he said, I, I didn't know what to say, and I realized I didn't know what I believed. And that simple question was the turning point in his life. And, and he went on from there ultimately, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then he realized that while his God had been science, now he recognized that science was just the lens, the toolkit that God gave us to, uh, to look at creation 
And so he called his, his first book The Language of God. The genetic structure of DNA, he called it The Language of God. And his books and his testimony and his, uh, uh, his articles and, and, and everything else written about him has touched millions of lives for the kingdom since that time. It all started with one simple question that this elderly patient asked him, Doctor, what do you believe? And my question to you is, what if that elderly person, what if that woman had been preoccupied with her own pain or her own resentment at God for not healing her? God, why aren't you healing me? You know, well, why, why am I experiencing this? Why do I have to go through this? If she'd been preoccupied with that to the point where she missed the opportunity to ask him the question, what would have been the eternal impact of that oversight in Francis Collins' life and in the lives of the millions of people he touched? Sometimes the purpose for what we're going through, as hard as it is, is so that God can use it in our lives so that we can comfort someone else and minister to them. And that's exactly what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. He says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, get this, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Very often, the hardship and the pain we experience is God's equipping and positioning for ministry. I found that with my own cancer. Some of you know I, I was through a bout with cancer in 2011. And, uh, and I recognized in retrospect that it was God's equipping for ministry. There were people down there that he allowed me to touch at the cancer center. And since that time, who have been dealing with cancer, that, that I'm able to minister to much more effectively because of the work he's done in my life. One of those guys, a rough old uh, motorcycle guy, uh, emailed me at one point and said, uh, because I'd had a chance to, to interact with him on the subject of Harleys, among other things. He had a Harley hat on when I walked in. And, and, and he said at one point, I don't know what you've got, but it, you've got a tremendous peace uh, about what you're going through. Whatever it is you've got, I want it. You've got to tell me how to get it. You see? And, and, and God will do that in, in your life as well. He prepares us in that way. So how do we minister to other people in crisis? First of all, we need to listen. Uh, Todd Hunter says, in our postmodern Christian society, the most important evangelistic skill is listening. People used to listen to their way into the kingdom. Today, people are more apt to observe and to talk their way into the, the kingdom. And so we need to listen. We need to pray silently in the moment of that interaction with people, that the Holy Spirit will give us just what we need to respond. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be a theologian or be able to spout all kinds of of scripture uh, but very often just being there and listening and praying with them is is what they need and then we can speak God's promises of comfort and peace and strength into their lives I've given you some of those some of my favorites on that card that's in your bulletin right now and I'd encourage you memorize some of those so that the Holy Spirit can use them at that moment when he calls you to minister to somebody around you whether it's to lead them to faith or whether it's to comfort and strengthen and pray. You can pray those things back to God. And you can pray with people. This is powerful. And you can pray for people. I asked Cindy Brown if I could share this example. 
And uh, I've changed it a little bit to protect the innocent, but Cindy sent through a prayer request a few weeks ago that I thought was so perfect in, in terms of the way it recognized the opportunity. She, says, she said this in her prayer request, Please pray for co-worker Mary, who is scheduled for surgery this Wednesday, and I was quite worried about it. I know that she's been a churchgoer in the past, but I don't think she's a believer. Pray her surgery goes well, but most of all, that this experience will bring her to salvation. Also pray I will have an opportunity to speak to her about spiritual things and that the Holy Spirit will speak to her heart. See, what Cindy recognized was that this wasn't just a person who was sick, but it was a spiritual opportunity that God had a purpose in this and that God had positioned her uh, in, a, in a position to minister, to pray for this person, to pray with this person. Now, uh, this person came through her surgery and, and she's fine today. God demonstrated his power in her life. She will never forget that. Now, this person didn't drop to their knees and become a Christian, but that was a seed that was planted in her life that God will use, the Holy Spirit will use. He's not done with her yet. And, and, uh, and he's going to continue the good work that he's begun. So we need to pray boldly that God will demonstrate his power in that person's situation. Let me give you an, an, another example. Uh, recently, a mom uh, came to me and said, uh, you know, my daughter is ill, uh, some kind of a gastrointestinal uh, issue, and would you pray for her? Sure, God tells us the prayer of faith will save the sick, and, and we, should, uh, we should pray for each other. So I said, uh, I'd be happy to. She, and she, uh, they came into my office after the service, and um, as, as it says in uh, James, you know, I put a little oil on our forehead. And, and actually, I pulled uh, Mark and I think Darla Prether in there as well. And we were praying there with the family. And, and I, I said to the young woman, do you believe that God can heal you? I always ask that. Do you believe that God can heal you? And, and I, knew, I, knew her heart, I know her heart, so I, I know that she, that she does. And then I, I explained that, you know, sometimes God heals right away. Sometimes he heals over a period of time through our doctors and the wonderful medicines he's allowed us to develop. Sometimes he doesn't heal until heaven, like with Cindy Edwards. Uh, and so we prayed. We put our hands on her and we prayed. Next day I got an email from the mom. She says, praise God, she's well. And she's been well ever since. Now, I, I don't say that because uh, God heals through pastors. Yet, yes, he does. It's always God who heals. But I say that because God wants to do that through you in the ordinary circumstances of life. God is not out of the supernatural business by any means. Don't let anybody tell you that. that. That stuff happens with regularity around here. It happens all the time. And uh, God will also heal marriage relationships when you pray with somebody. He will bring prodigal sons and daughters back from their foolishness. He will rescue people from financial difficulty. Whatever it is that's going on in that person's life, you have the opportunity in that crisis to speak God's truth into it and to pray down the power of God in that situation uh, for, for God to move. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So we need to be prepared to give an answer when God puts us in that situation. God prepares us to, to, to speak for him. He says in uh, 1 Peter 3.15 and 16, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The most credible testimony 
that you can give is what God is doing in your own life. And, and if you doubt God's ability to, to answer your prayer, let me suggest to you this. This verse is not in your notes. But John 15, 7 says, Jesus promised us, he says, if, uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now what part of that don't we understand? You see, God has promised to demonstrate his power in the situations he calls us to minister in. We need to guard our testimony. That's an obstacle sometimes. Whatever happens, Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, Philippians 1.27. In other words, don't live in a way that undermines the credi- your credibility as a believer in Jesus Christ or that under- undermines the credibility of the, the gospel. And that's not a do-it-yourself project. We, we can't be better people on our own. We just can't act better tomorrow morning when we wake up. That comes from God. He says in Colossians 1, 9, and 10, here's a secret. He says, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. All that stuff comes from the power of God. You're worried about not producing fruit in your life, not being effective in the lives of the people around you. All that comes from God. Ask God for it and he will give it to you. As a practical matter, we can't offer people life if, if we don't have the life of God within us ourselves uh, from day to day. The word of God is a source of our spiritual life and vitality. And if we're spiritually malnourished, if we're on spiritual life support because we're not taking in the word of God, we won't have anything to offer the people around us. So we need to spend daily time in the word of God and, and spend time in prayer. We need to confess our sins from day to day. 1 John 1, 9, remember? And, and we need to ask for God's filling. The Holy Spirit will fill us and direct us during the day to empower us to, to do what he's called us to do. We need to pray out ahead of our encounters with the people around us. That prayer is at once the most essential and the most neglected uh, aspect of our lives. And it releases the power of God into those situations that God calls us to minister into. One of my favorite books on prayer is uh, Jacqueline, uh, excuse me, Jennifer Kennedy Dean, Live a Praying Life. She says this, Your prayers will never do anything except release God's power for God's purposes. On the other hand, your prayers will always release God's power for God's purposes. You cannot argue somebody into the kingdom of God, but you can pray them into the kingdom of God because the Holy Spirit will draw them in. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, in John 6, 44. Ask the Holy Spirit to do his work in that person's life. And then be alert for small opportunities. Had one of the guys from the men's ministry say, you know, I've been praying for somebody at work and I didn't even invite them to the the, uh, Christmas Eve service, but they just showed up. I said, that's how God works. You know, you pray and, and he responds. Very often we just don't connect the dots. Uh, but uh, God will uh, respond. He will answer those kinds of prayers. And then finally, uh, crossing the bridge. There are times when after we've built a relationship with people and there is a relationship of credibility and trust uh, and we're at the place where they've asked us questions about spiritual things and we have the, oper- we have the standing, if you will, to speak into their lives and they, they ask us for that. At some point, someone may ask you, like they did me, 
I want what you've got. Show me how to, how, how can I become a follower of Jesus Christ? How can I become a child of God as well? And, and there is a time then that, that you can lay that out for them. And God calls us to be prepared to answer. So I'd like to, uh, in closing this morning, I'd like to model that for you. I'm going to ask my friend uh, Chet Thorne to come up. For just a couple minutes, I'm going to use a tool that I've used a number of times before. I, I know that uh, some of you are perfectly capable of articulating a gospel message off the top of your head. And you know the scriptures, and you can talk people through uh, leading, leading them to Christ right off the top of your head, but many are not so comfortable with doing that. And, and uh, one of the things I like is what I put, it, the resource I put in your bulletins this morning, and, and that is a, a simple tract about how to become a Christian. It walks people through the steps in uh, leading people to Christ. And I've used it a number of times to draw people to faith in Jesus Christ and, and to uh, receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. So I know that God uses it. It's not the only way. It's one way that I, I want to model to you this morning. It contains uh, the facts that people need to know to make a decision. It contains the relevant scripture, so it releases the power of God. It uses, gives the Holy Spirit the tools he needs to use in that person's life at that moment. But you, you use it at the time when the person is ready uh, to hear that. And when they ask you for that, then it, then it is the time. And so I'll, I'll usually begin by saying, um, you know, Chet, we've... We've been friends for quite a while now, and, and uh, you know, we've talked about some spiritual things. You've asked me some questions about, about God, and we've talked back and forth about that. But you asked me recently if I wouldn't uh, share with you how, how to come to faith in Jesus Christ. How do I become a child of God? And, and so I said that I would do that. And, and the way I, I usually do that with, with folks is, uh, is to kind of read through the, uh, this, this uh, track together. And, and, it, and it will uh, highlight what the, the decision issues are, what the information is, and then also the scriptures that are important uh, about God's plan of salvation. So I begin by reading that first paragraph. The central theme of the New Testament is God's love for you as an individual. Help them to understand God's love. And then I ask them, would you mind reading that, that first scripture verse under God's love? Go ahead and read it, Chet. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. If whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Okay. So what, what that tells us is that God loves the whole world and, and he loves you in particular. And uh, that he, he offers you eternal life and forgiveness. Uh, but there's an obstacle. You know, we're all sinners. Uh, uh, all of us uh, fall short of the glory of God. And that's what the next scripture tells us. Would you read Romans 3.23? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And uh, we like to say we're all, we're all just human. Nobody's perfect, and that, that's true. But, you know, a lot of folks think that if, if, uh, if God grades on the curve, I'm okay because, um, you know, I haven't been on Crime Stoppers in the past year. I'm a pretty good guy. I don't hurt anybody, and so uh, God, will, God will accept me. But what, what the Bible tells us is that that isn't true. It, it says that we've, we've all fallen short of the glory of God and that, the, in fact, there's a penalty that God can't accept any of us because his standard is perfection and none of us can meet that. Would you read that, that next verse about the penalty, Romans 6.23? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. So um, sin comes with a penalty and that's eternal separation from God. We're all going to appear before God. Hebrews 9.27 says 
that um, uh, it's pointed unto every man wants to die and after that the judgment. And when we appear before God, there's only one thing that will matter and that's whether we have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not. And that's why God sent his son. Would you read Romans 5.8? God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So, so God sent his son to be that sacrifice for sin. And we're going to skip ahead for the purposes of time this morning. We're going to skip ahead to the, the, the last verse. Now, God sent us this gift. And in the, in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, Chet, we can uh, find forgiveness and, and we can be made right with God. We can be reconciled uh, with God. But it's not enough to know about the gift. We have to receive the gift. And, and so that's the point of this last scripture. Would you read John 1.12? Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay. So uh, what this says is, is if we receive him, that we too can become children of God. It will change our whole relationship with God. Is that something that you want to do right now? Absolutely. Okay. Well, then the, the last panel here really walks a person through. There's a sample prayer here. That, uh, that they can pray, and I, I usually encourage them either to pray this or pray one like it and receive Christ. And, and after, they, after they pray to receive Christ, then I talk with them about uh, what that means. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new person in Christ. All, the old things are passed away, new things have come. Um, and, and how to grow in their life with God, get into the Word of God every day. I talk, we talk about forgiveness. We talk about the fact that uh, Romans 8, 1, you know, there's no condemnation. God sees you as not, not guilty because of what Jesus has, has done. And, and so we talk about some things that will help them to, to grow in their life with God. Um, so uh, I wanted you to see how easy that is. The point is that not that I can do it. The point is that any one of you can do it. And, and God will call you at some point or another to to talk with somebody that he has put in your life that needs to know how to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he will use you to do that. And, and that's where the, the, uh, the reward comes. Sometimes you see folks in that situation when they come to Christ, there, there is, I mean, the tears roll down their face, and you can see the Holy Spirit's uh, peace and joy come over that person. Their entire countenance changes in, in some cases when, when that happens. It's a powerful time. And I, I want you to have that. I, I want God to bless you with that opportunity as well. well. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I thank you for my friend Chet and for your, uh, your work in his life and where you have him right now. And I thank you too for, uh, for each of these ambassadors in the auditorium this morning. All of us that you've called to speak on your behalf. And I pray, Lord, for the Holy Spirit's power. I pray that you fill each one of us with your power to sense the opportunities around us and to respond as you would have to respond as you would have us respond to the uh, the people that you put into our lives who need you and and I, I pray that uh, we would give you the uh, the glory for what you bring out of it and and we pray all this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ amen